Welcome to Five to Thrive, five strategies to equip and empower educators, parents, and students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Did you ever wonder why you could not reach a student or your own child? Well, in today's episode, we're going to look at differing strategies to ensure that you can meet all of your students in an ideal world, but you'll be able to meet most of them for sure. And if you're like me with four kids at home, you can say one thing and it's interpreted multiple ways. Um, I will also learn in this episode how better to communicate uh, with my own kids. So again, we have Dr. Rhoda here and the topic is differentiation. Hello, Professor Marty. Hello to all of you listening. Thank you so very much for continuing to tune in and support and and help us as we try to help equip young people to be able to thrive. So just about everybody agrees that we need to teach young people in a way that they can understand, in a way that meets them at their ability level. And in the world of education, we call this differentiating instruction. And we all know that we need to do it. So when we plan our lessons, we often plan for the students kind of in the that middle ability level oftentimes. But what we're doing for the student, but what are we doing for the student who just isn't catching on? Or what are we doing for the student who has a good grasp of this content quickly or even before we ever really started teaching the material? You know, they already kind of understood this and now they're incredibly bored and they either zone out or what I've oftentimes found with these kids is they decide that causing trouble is more fun than being bored. That's very and true. And they become our management challenges. Oftentimes our management challenges are very, very bright kids who are bored. So we all know that we need to differentiate, but how do we do it? when we have so many other demands on our time. And this is what I really love about this episode, because if you're an educator, you have heard the term differentiation so many times, mm -hmm. and yet all of us at times struggle. How can I find the time to get this done? And so Dr. Rhoda has just some really great, manageable, uh, easy to use takeaways. As you mentioned, we all know that we should be doing this, and we all agree that it's the right thing to do. Administrators, teachers, but when teachers are asked why they don't do it as often as they know that they think they probably should, they'll say things like, well, I have limited access to materials, or I don't have time to collaborate, or I'm just having a hard time finding resources, or I wasn't really trained effectively in this, and so I don't quite have the, I don't feel equipped. We just don't feel competent, we don't feel like we're able to do it well, and we don't feel like we're able to do it often enough. So we often feel overwhelmed when we think about trying to do this and we feel guilty if we're not doing it on a regular basis. So there's no need for this. There's a simple yet effective way to differentiate instruction and we're gonna share just one strategy today that if you apply this in your classroom or with your children at home, I think it's gonna make a difference for you. So, and maybe if you're already doing this, kudos, refresher. And, and you know, we, those we, around us. we can even extend that conversation to whatever line you work, oh, uh, you're, you're in and the employer-employee relationship really, really uh, I'm applies. To, yeah, I'm thrilled to get comments from our viewers that say, you know, my children have grew up a long time ago and I'm not a teacher, but I apply this to me and it's really, really helpful. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope to have everybody thrive. So my favorite differentiation strategy includes a mix of things that we know go into differentiation. So we know that some effective strategies for differentiating are small group instruction. We provide lessons at varying degrees of difficulty. We scaffold lessons and activities. But here's a strategy that incorporates all those. Instead of moving students on to a new skill when they've learned something, and then I have to attempt to manage several students all working on different lessons, we can keep all the students working on the exact same lesson, 
but with some students we go deeper and we climb up Bloom's taxonomy of critical thinking. So that's going to be our main tool here that we use with this strategy. So you, you recall Bloom's. Uh, and here's what I do to kind of make this really very tangible in my mind as I'm doing my lesson planning. I like to think about particular students. So back in the day when I was teaching high school, I would cut out the student ID picture for a student in my class who was at the middle of the ability level. I'd cut out a picture of the student that struggled in my section, and I'd cut out a student of that picture that was probably the brightest in my class. And as I was developing my lesson plans, I would constantly be asking myself, what am I doing so that my struggling learner meets my objective? And then I would also do the same for that middle ability, and I'd also do the same for that upper level ability. This physical reminder really helped me to keep it very, very real and keep my learner in mind. So as I'm thinking of the student who's very bright and is going to catch on very quickly, I plan for how I can move that student up the ladder of Bloom's taxonomy within the same activity. So I'm not trying to manage 15 different things going on. So let's review Bloom's taxonomy. It posits that the type of thinking that takes the least effort and energy is recall. Okay, so that's the easiest, just simple recall. Uh, re memorizing, repeating back facts. And we would say that surface knowledge, yes, no questions, true, false questions. And there's certainly value for that. Exactly. Because it's the basis of everything else. Mm -hmm. Once you have recall, then you build on that and you grow into understanding. From understanding, you go to being able to apply it in real life situations. Part of that applying is being able to analyze good, bad, compare, contrast, which leads us into evaluating. And then ultimately the highest form of Bloom's taxonomy and critical thinking is to create new information, new thoughts, new ideas, coming up with new ideas. So they all build on each other. I can't analyze if I don't have basic recall and basic understanding. So basically what we're doing is within the same activity, we're moving kids up and down this ladder. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do is I'll have Bloom's taxonomy in front of me. Yes. Uh, so I have to look at it and then uh, have a series of differing questions based on where the student is at. And uh, you will be amazed at how many more students you can engage using that type of approach. Yeah. And we can have students practice, we can't, like as I mentioned before, you can't really have students practice evaluating if they're not able to recall or understand, mm -hmm. so they all build on each other. So for my middle of the road students, I'm going to have an activity that gets them evaluating. Let's say I use a compare and contrast chart of characters in a novel. For my student who is struggling with that content, I'm going to have an activity that's focused on recall or understanding of the main concepts within the plot. I might even... You know, depending on once some students, my accommodation might even be like a word bank for them to where they don't have to come up with it, the word on their own, but they, if they see it, they know it and they can connect it, right? So you're varying it based upon that individual student's ability. How do I stretch this child to help them grow to their full God-given potential, but also give them something that they're capable of, that scaffolding, right? For my gifted student who already understands both of those concepts, I'm going to go into more critical thinking. So maybe I suggest something like write three paragraphs about this character would do if they were in a different situation or rewrite the ending of the story or help them to dig deeper into the same material. While students are doing this as the teacher, I can float around and observe and assist as needed. Students can work in groups on these different projects as well. We can even let students create their own assignment, but we tell them we want them to utilize one of the higher order thinking skills. For example, you know, kids have more energy than we do, right? They have more, they have more time. They can sit around and think about what would be really engaging for them to take this novel, their understanding of this novel to the next level. So for example, I could say using synthesis or creating, develop a project that shows me you understand this novel at a deeper level and then let them come up with the specifics. 
They have more time and energy than I do sometimes. So let them figure out something that's relevant or interesting to them, but meets my criteria. So of course, we help them if they're stuck and we brainstorm together. Uh, another example could be something like write a journal entry from the main character's perspective, right? So that's creating a new thought based on this information that they already have. So that's an example for, for older students, for younger students, um, you know, maybe the little ones are learning letters and sounds. So students at a lower cognitive level will be matching sounds with pictures for their activity. And the student who's able to think more critically could create a game that the rest of the class would then play. So everybody's getting involved in the same activity, in the same concept. What about for parents? How can we apply the same information? Let's say you're, you're doing lawn work as a family. The youngest among us can rake and pick up sticks or weed in the flower bed. The student that's the middle-aged or middle ability, they can mow. The older can edge the lawn or trim the bushes. Everyone's involved. You're there with them, but they're all being stretched and challenged, and we're working on accomplishing something together. You're teaching them to literally mow their own lawn instead of accepting someone else to do it for expecting someone else to do it for them. And we've talked about this before with letting kids make kid kid size mistakes, letting kids you know, challenging them, letting them fall down, letting them figure out how to get back up. So even within chores, um, we can differentiate based on ages and, and what our expectations are. And sometimes young people say, well, it's just not fair. I have to, you know, I got a blister from the weed eater, you know, <laughs> you know, and I think as teachers, we oftentimes go to that fair isn't that everybody gets the exact same thing. Fair is that everybody gets what they need. And that's the key to differentiation. Everybody gets what they need. Now, now if you're out there, thinking, well, I'm a math teacher. How does this, how does this apply? You can literally go through each of these steps on Bloom's taxonomy yeah. and, and creatively uh, challenge your students, uh, be it to, to find that surface level, simply solve the problem or to create their own problem. So they get that answer all the way up to compare and contrast. So it's really, really a powerful tool yeah. to meet the student where they're at. Create, create a word problem using these you know, different variables. So yeah, lots of different options for you. So have fun with it. This also just keeps us renewed and engaged and learning and growing and challenging ourselves. And that's, that's what education is about. And we're preparing them for the future. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five key takeaways from today's episode on differentiation. Number one, Awareness of differentiation can be fun, and it also can be done in a very simplistic manner. Uh, number two, make sure we review Bloom's taxonomy. So we have understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, and create. Number three, as you're thinking about those stages in Bloom's taxonomy, uh, when you plan your lesson, have a photo of your students in front of you and think, you know, what is the best way that I can meet each of these individuals' needs? Number four, give students choice. Uh, when you make an assignment, allow the students to choose uh, which area in Bloom's taxonomy fits them, if appropriate. And number five, uh, go to the website, uh, Click in the upper right-hand corner on the tab Resources, and uh, there are some great handouts on Bloom's Taxonomy for you to use as you see fit. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, please let us know through the comment section of our website. 
May your week be blessed.